Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. You're very kind. It's wonderful to be back here with you again and to see your progress in faith and pastors over cha changing the United Kingdom. I just want your, you people to, to pray for Australia's cricket team. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know that you'll do that because you're, you're good people and you, you, you're not parochial and you're not just locked in on one country of the world. You, you care about the nations of the world. So I'd like you to pray for Australia because some of our players have been a bit naughty in the past and we, they need a, a touch of grace and mercy, which I know you're willing for that to happen. Thank you so much for that. What a beautiful thing you are. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk to you about the fingerprints of God, the, the marks of God's mighty hand in the life of Jesus. Because lots of people ask me from time to time, how do you know Jesus is the real thing? I mean, how do you, what, what makes you think Jesus is the only one? Well, the fingerprints of God. I'm going to talk about that tonight. And the one fingerprint that totally changed my, my life. But today I want to support, uh, speak to you about the most important conversation I ever had in my life. Um, I'm going to share with you uh, a moment that changed my life. And who knows, it just might help you in, in your life. Um, I grew up going to church. Mum and Dad were Lutherans. Dad was a Methodist lay preacher when he was a boy, when he was young. Uh, he married my mum. She was a Lutheran. Uh, Lutherans don't become Methodists. Methodists have to become Lutherans. So my dad had to become a Lutheran. So I grew up going to church. I liked church. Um, I can't remember a time when I didn't believe the Bible was true and that the stories about Jesus were wonderful. But I kind of was an unusual kind of churchgoer in that it never soaked down into me seeing myself as a follower of Jesus. I kind of, more like kind of believed church rather than follow Jesus. And as a result, when I was in my teenage years, um, I tended to be kind of really inconsistent. I used to milk petrol out of other people's cars and then use the petrol to get to choir practice on a Thursday night. <laughs> and uh, I used to uh, steal my lunch from the university cafeteria every day. But uh, that would give me a dollar to put an offering on, on a Sunday. And that kind of life kind of was working for me. I never really bothered my conscience a great deal. And all I ever really wanted to do was to be a high school teacher. My dad was a principal. We had all kinds of people in our family who were teachers. And all I ever wanted to be was a teacher. Year 12, I won a scholarship to university. And I, um, I got a contract with the education department that they would put me through university and I had to promise to teach for three years and it was wonderful. Um, I was having a wonderful life. Uh, I had a, a car, a, a, a rifle, a set of golf clubs, a pretty girlfriend. I had a scholarship from the government, put some money in my pocket. I was doing full-time golf and billiards and doing a little bit of university work on the side <laughs> and life was absolutely wonderful. Then I went to my girlfriend, Helen, who's now my wife, uh, we met each other in high school, and I went to, her, she used to go to, to an Anglican church. And her Anglican church was a real man of God. He used to bring people in to share their stories on a Sunday night. Well, I was a Lutheran, people didn't have stories. So we, we, we just had no, we didn't have stories to share. But he would bring people in to have stories. And one night there was a young man talking about how he had wrestled his way through his recognizing he was a sinful kid and he needed Jesus and now Jesus had come into his life and he wanted to share Jesus everywhere he went and I was sitting there thinking yuck who wants to be like that <laughs> and then 
her minister came up to me that night and said, well, tell me, young man, where are you with the Lord? Well, I'd been going to church all my life, but no one had ever asked me that question. And I didn't know how to answer it. I, I don't, well, what do you mean? Where am I with the Lord? How would you know? And I said, oh, well, I used to have my doubts, but now <laughs> I'm right in there. And I went home that night, shocked on the inside, because I realised I didn't have a clue how to answer the question. Well, I, they were like little worms. I started to put them back in again and, and got my life back under control. And three weeks later, I went to church, my own Lutheran church, and we had a visiting preacher, and he preached a word on hell. He preached on hell to me. And <laughs> about halfway through that service, I got a really bad feeling I could get to see this place someday. And even though he didn't have, like, glossy photographs to prove that hell existed, I just knew in my heart there's something very disturbingly true about this. And i got to get this thing figured out. I don't know where I stand with the Lord. And he said one thing that day I have never forgotten. The worst two words that will ever be uttered to those who are shut out of the kingdom of heaven is, if only. If only I'd listened. If only I'd taken it seriously. If only I'd followed Jesus. And the thought of dying and discovering that I had never embraced the goodness of God was horrifying to me. I was so scared I could hardly walk out of the church that day. And if it had if been, like, been here, if it had been Church Unlimited, they'd give you a chance to come to Jesus at the end of a message like that. Is any young man here today with a can and a hose in the boot of his car that feels the need for the forgiveness of sins? Oh, yeah, that's me. I would have come. But see, Lutherans don't have altar calls. They scare the hell out of you and send you home for lunch. So <laughs> that's what happened. They sent me home for lunch. I could hardly walk out of that place. And I started thinking, oh, I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure out where I stand with the Lord because I do not want to find myself in this kind of trouble. And so for the next days, I was trying to figure out how Christian you have to be to get to heaven because my plan was to be a secret agent for God. I, I was happy to go to church and I was happy to kind of give and stuff, but I didn't want to be a fanatic. I didn't want to have to tell people I love Jesus. And I wanted to die and go straight to heaven. And as I walked through the doors of heaven, everybody shocked, turns around and says, oh, we never thought we'd see you here. And I'd say, oh, no, I was a secret agent for God. Me and Jesus was like this. And, I, and that was my plan. So now I've, I, that week I thought, I have got to figure out where I stand with the Lord. Now, a good Lutheran boy should have known better than this, but I started to try to figure out how Christian you have to be to get to heaven. And the first idea that came to me was, was um, money. You know, money, God's nearly always broke. They tell you that in church. So <laughs> if I was to give God some money, that's got to help. That's got to count for something. Then I had the most brilliant idea of all. Sunday school. I'm training to be a teacher. And Sunday school happens in church on Sunday. Well, I was going to be there anyway. So it's not like the big sacrifice. And, I mean, if Sunday school teachers don't get to heaven, who does? What a shocking public relations exercise that would be if, if Sunday school teachers can't make it. How much do you have to suffer to get into heaven? <laughs> I'm getting a list of things together so that I can feel like I'm really doing a good church thing and my heart's starting to feel, oh yeah, I, can, I think I could live that much of a Christian life. I came home from working in the quarry that, that, that Thursday. I had a job during my uni vacation. I showered up, I'm going to take Helen to the drive-in. I get right near the front door and God spoke to me as clear as I'm speaking to you. 
It didn't speak through my ears. It, it, he spoke in here, in my chest. And what he said was, I want you to be a minister. Well, you've got to understand that wasn't on my list. I don't say, well, obviously, I want to be a school teacher. I don't want to be a minister. And I just burst into tears. Oh, no, 19 years old and I'm dead already. My entire, <laughs> my entire life just came to a halt. I imagined myself dressed up as a Lutheran minister with black stuff on the colours around my neck. I thought, well, shoot me now. No. I got in my car, I drove around to see Helen, I took her out in the backyard, I said, I think God wants me to be a minister. She cried, she didn't want to marry a minister. I have a reverse testimony. You've heard those testimonies? I was low and down and beaten up and Jesus came and lifted me up. Well, I was doing okay. I had a lovely life, money, fun, everything, and Jesus came along and wrecked the entire thing. <laughs> so now I'm in my second year, about to go into my third year of university, and I have a call of God on my life. And I've got to tell you, I was horrified. I nearly had a nervous breakdown. I remember having to you know, be an openly Christian. I thought... I can't stand it. I just want to be a normal Australian. I don't want to just be like some weird religious person. I couldn't cope. And as a result, I would go through waves of depression. And I'm trying to... They, they came one day, in my final year of uni, God would sometimes step back and let me breathe. And then he'd come again and he'd say, I want, I want your life. And I thought, it's horrifying. I don't want to be that near to God. And... As a result, I'm trying to study for, for an examination in the university library and I can't think. I'm just so overwhelmed by the tension of it all that I, I'm, I'm trying to find some peace. I can't study, I can't think straight. And I noticed on the university a daily sheet that there was a, a, a Lutheran service in the religious centre that lunchtime. And I thought, well, I'll go and do something religious and then maybe God will leave me alone for a while and I'll be able to, I'll be able to study. So I did what I'd never done before. I don't go to the religious centre, I go to the billiard room. So I went to the religious centre for lunch. And it just so happened that day, I went on that one day and sitting right next to me is someone I've never met before and we work our way, you know, the, the, the lunchtime meeting happens and it was meaningless. It didn't make an ad, it didn't, I didn't even understand what they're talking about. And everybody got up and left after the lunch and I'm sitting there desolate because I feel like I've got a call of God on my life and I don't want to do it. And for some unknown reason, the guy sitting beside me didn't leave either. He got out his lunchbox and starts eating his lunch and out of that a conversation unfolded. See, one of the loveliest things about when you care for people, you need to know this, that if you sit with them for a little while, just don't get up and leave. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth starts to speak. Because when people have something on their heart and it burdens them, they really want to tell someone. So I start telling this guy beside me. He, I said, who are you? Oh, he said, I'm studying to become a missionary. He's studying to become a missionary. I thought, yeah. I said, I think God wants me to be a minister. He said, well, that's wonderful. I said, no. <laughs> that's terrible. I just want to be a high school teacher. And out of that came a conversation that totally changed my life. So he asked me a question. He says, well, hang on. You say, God wants you to be a minister. Well, 
why don't you think that's wonderful? Because I, I don't want to be one. I just want to be a school teacher. Yeah, I don't want to be a minister. And he said, well, tell me, you, you, you go to church? Yes, I, 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 every, every week. He said, well, tell me, what do you believe? Well, if you ask Luther and that, he can tell you because I've done Luther's, Luther's small catechism, man. Well, I know what I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge both the living and the dead. Believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I believe it all. You see, that's a lot of believing right there. That's, uh, that's very impressive. Will you think I'm saved? He said, oh, it's possible. Well, then he says to me, you know, um, it, it's possible that you just might have missed a really important word in all of that stuff that you believe, you know, just a really important word. Um, he said, that's a lot of confessing. What if we were to just talk about the simplest confession of all? Back in the early church, they didn't have all that stuff. It took a while to develop that much believing. Back in the beginning, it was really simple, and it went something like this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe you missed that word in what you said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Al, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, I guess I do. I mean, that's kind of in there, Lord. Well, let me ask you, do you know what the word Lord means? Well, I guess it's like Mr. You know, I'm Mr. Alan Moore. He's Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's kind of like a title. No, no, no. No, no, it's, it's a lot more than that because, you see, it's a description of who he is. See, the word Lord means the master. It means the owner of everything. He's the one who owns everything. Um, it means the one with supreme power and authority. The one who rules. When you, when you call him Lord, you're talking about the supreme being. The one who has dominion, who has power, who has authority. Let's sum it up in a single word. He is the boss. He's the boss. Um, Al, do you realize that the question as to who is the boss is in fact the biggest conflict of the ages. This is the big question of life. Who is in charge? Who rules? Um, who is the boss? It, it comes back to the nations. It, it goes to the core of the struggle of the nations. It's Psalm 2, for example. You know, listen, listen to the, the, the struggle that is going on in the world today. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. They see honoring God as king and Jesus Christ as Lord is like being in chains. They see that as being chained up. And they say, let's break his chains. Let's get out of this. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. 
He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. <laughs> it's a big struggle of the ages. goes right back to the Garden of Eden. God creates an amazing garden. He says to his people, the whole thing is yours. See, I have created for you a fantastic life. But there is one issue at being able to maintain this. You see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You aren't up to that. You see, you aren't up to discovering or to, to knowing good and evil for yourself because you just don't see far enough. The law of unintended consequences is part of the struggle of human life. We just don't know the end from the beginning. We can think something's good, and embrace it and find out down the track, no, that wasn't as good as I thought it was. We can, we can embrace something, we think, oh, this is really bad, but if you saw the outcome, you'd say, well, that wasn't bad at all. Actually, that was good. And so God says, leave the issue of good and evil to me, and everything will work out fine. But in order to do that, see, you've got to embrace me as Lord. You've got to see me as the king, the supreme ruler, the one who's the boss. And if you can embrace that, it's all yours. And into the garden comes a creep dragging the, the chains of our future bondage. And this is what he has to say. Hath God said, you shall not eat of any of these trees? No, you miserable coot. That's not what he said. He said we could eat of all of them. It's all for us. He wants to have a fantastic life. But leave the good and evil thing to him. Ah, oh, you see, oh, I hate to tell you this. But, uh, you see, that's the secret to it all. Yeah, you know, you've got to break those chains. You, you've got to be in charge of everything. Because if you're not, what a kind of miserable life is that? And as my mother began to alienate her heart, began to get suspicious of the goodness of God, suddenly things began to break out in her life. And before she knew it, she gave herself permission to just break the, the lordship of the kingship of the heavenly father and, and that's where all the trouble comes from. Extraordinary thing. The truth is simply this, Jesus Christ Al, is Lord. You, that's, that's, that's the confession. That's the simplest of all the confessions. If you're here today, you're trying to figure out what, what is Christianity really saying to the world? It comes down to a very simple thing. Jesus Christ is the king. He's the lord, he's the ruler, he's the boss. And if you'll simply embrace him, everything can change. Yeah. And God is not intending to let another king sit on that throne. Yeah. Um, and that's how simple it comes to connect with him. You connect with him as king. If you can embrace him as Lord, everything falls into place. And I'd overlooked that. See, the, it was full of stuff in the Bible. In Luke chapter 2, 11, it said, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Acts 2, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, the one you crucified. Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is connected to his lordship. Yeah. Philippians, for this reason also, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord yeah. to the glory 
of God the Father. 1 Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. 1 Corinthians, there's but one God the Father and one Lord, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. In Revelation, these shall wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and those who are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. You know, the most amazing thing about the Gospel is that it is an offer from heaven to embrace the kingship of a gracious king, the most gracious king you could ever imagine, who was willing to die on a cross to open the doors of eternal life to you. That's how amazing this king is. He is not a tyrant. He is the servant of all. Amazing thing. You'd think you'd embrace a king like that quite quickly, huh? In that conversation in that university religious center, a man sat beside me and said, oh, I think you've overlooked something. I think you've overlooked the one thing you need to understand, and that is that it's not all just about believing a whole bunch of stuff. Bring it down to this simple thing. Can you embrace Jesus as your Lord? Well, amazing thing. No one was ever invited to receive Christ as Savior in the preaching of the early church. They were invited to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and then you would discover he is an amazing Savior. He is a king who saves. And this is where he said, I I think, Al, here's the problem. I think the problem here is you're trying to marry a dishwasher. You're trying to marry a dishwasher. Imagine if you went to church to marry that little girl of yours, Helen, and you stepped up to the altar and the pastor says, repeat now your vows. And I was to say, I, Alan, take you, Helen, to be my lawful wedded dishwasher. (laughs) There would be a howl of protest. Excuse me? Oh, sorry, yes. Uh, And as my lawful wedded sexy woman... And as my lawful wedded ironer of shirts. You, no, 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 you don't, get, you don't get to make that kind of confession because, see, that's not what's happening here, Al. What's happening here is you have come to marry a wife. Now, if you're really lucky, every now and then there might be some dishes get washed. And there might be some very romantic moments and there there might even be shirts that get ironed, but you can't marry a dishwasher, Al. That's not what is happening here. You embrace her as your wife and some stuff just might come along with that. Al, you need to know something. You cannot marry a dishwasher and that's what you've been trying to do. You see, you have been trying to have Jesus as your saviour, but you didn't want to have him as your Lord. And that's not how it works in heaven. If you embrace him as Lord, he will wash your dishes because he's an amazing servant. But you can't marry a dishwasher. Now, you want to hear it in the words of Jesus? 
You want to hear it in the words of the New Testament? The book of James that we read before. Just go back one chapter and you'll hear these words. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Hear it in the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, if this doesn't disturb you, it ought to. Because I attended church for decades and this was me. I was willing to sing every Sunday about the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. But I lived like a pagan. Ended up in the law courts as a Christian with my pastor trying to explain to the judge what a good boy I was. Judge could figure out if he's such a good boy, what's he doing here? It was a good question. I didn't like it very much. <laughs> Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Luke 6, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do the things that I say? I need you to know something, a conversation in the university religious centre, sitting next to a guy I'd never met before, eating lunch changed my life forever because that was the day I realised the reason I'm in so much turmoil, the reason I'm in so much tension is I'm trying to marry a dishwasher and the Holy Spirit isn't going to put the stamp of peace on that. But that day I realised I'm trying to pull off the impossible, you can't marry a dishwasher you can only embrace him as Lord and with that he'll wash your feet and he'll wash your dishes and he'll, he'll do amazing things in your life but he, he calls on you to embrace him as king, as Lord, as boss and then to live in the light of that revelation. What a change of life that has been for me. You see, Jesus said to his critics, tell me what you think of this parable, Jesus said. There was once a man with two sons. The father came to the first and said, son... I want you to go and work in the vineyard today. And the son replied, I'd rather not. That was me. But afterward, he deeply regretted what he said to his father, changed his mind and decided to go to the vineyard. The father approached the second son and said the same to him. The son replied, Father, I will go now. But he never did. Tell me now, Jesus said, which of these two sons did the will of the father? They answered him the first one. Jesus said, you're right. For many sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. John came to show you the path of goodness and righteousness. Yet the despised and the outcasts believed in him, but you did not. And when you saw them turn, they changed their lives. They began to honour the lordship. You neither repented of your ways nor believed his words. Let me ask you a question this morning. If Jesus Christ was really the king of your life, if he really was the boss of your life, would you have to change the way you manage your money? If Jesus Christ really was the Lord of your life, would you have to change the way you handle other people's money? If Jesus was really the Lord of your life, would you need to change your sex behaviour, your sexual behaviour? Would you need to change that? if Christ really was king. 
If Jesus Christ really was king, would you need to use your time somewhat differently? If Jesus Christ really was your king, let me ask you one more question. Would you share him more often? If Jesus Christ was your king, would you love your wife better? Would you love your husband better? Would you treat your children differently if Jesus was king of your life? If Jesus Christ was really a king, would you go to work and work differently than you do right now? Would you do a different day's work if Christ was your king? If Jesus really was your king, would you handle your worst enemy differently? If Jesus Christ was your king, would you forgive more quickly? Would you forgive more completely if he was really your boss? If Jesus Christ was your king, would you stop driving and texting at the same time? If Jesus Christ really was your king, would you clean up your room without mum having to scream at you? If Christ was your king, would you resolve conflict more quickly? Would you pray more potently? Would you serve better? It is the question of the ages. Let me sing to you a song that we learned years ago. I'm just going to put this down here a little bit and pick it up a bit just because it will confuse me. This is an old one. It's like going to an Eagles concert. You end up with nothing but old songs. For he is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Who knew, knew that chorus? Will you sing it with me? For he is Lord. He Imagine a man bought an apartment one day and um, he rented it out to some people. Turned up at the end of the first month to connect, collect the rent, knocked on the door. Out came the guy renting the apartment. So, oh, are you the owner? Yes, he said, I'm the owner. He said, fantastic. He said, I've got something for you. 
For you're the owner, the owner. You are the owner. You have bought this apartment. You are the owner. Every dish you'll bow. Every tongue confess that you are the owner. He shut the door and went back inside. The owner said, that's very interesting. I have never seen that in all my years of renting apartments. He said, maybe he's going to pay two months' rent when I come back next month. Came back at the end of the second month, knocks on the door. He opens the door, sweetheart, it is the owner. Out comes the wife and two kids. Now we've got a four-part harmony. You are the owner. You are the owner. You have bought this apartment. You are the owner. Every dish shall bow. Every tongue confess that you are the owner. They shut the door and go back inside. God says, that truly is amazing. Maybe they're intending to pay three months rent. Next month, he comes back at the end of the third month, knocks on the door. Out he comes, sweetheart, it's the owner. Out come the neighbours, <laughs> the local symphony orchestra. He sets them up in front of the apartment and they begin. There's a 15-member choir at the back. You are the owner, you are the owner, you are the owner, you are the... There comes a point when he says, shut up and show me the money. I went to church for decades and thought that I could satisfy God's requirement by believing the text and singing the song. You're not that good. Your singing's just not that good. He is looking for more from you than your song. Thank God for the songs. Wonderful. But it needs to be backed up by a life of obedience to his kingship. And if it is... Everything can change. Could you bow your heads with me this morning? I don't know what brought you to church. I went to university one day and had an unexpected conversation and it totally changed my life. It's been an amazing life, actually. I look back on those years and I, and I was a different person. I f was afraid of God. I was afraid of following Jesus. It's been the most extraordinary journey. He was kind to me. He was patient with me. And he's also kind and he's patient to you. That there comes a moment where you've got to answer the question. Have you been trying to marry a dishwasher? It's time to upgrade your faith and embrace him as Lord and everything that comes with it. It may be that you have never done that, knowingly, deliberately, with understanding, said to Jesus, forgive me, I've been trying to buy you off with a song, and you're looking for my life. Here I am. Take me. Make me your own. You may have been coming to church for years, and you've never gripped you. This has never really gripped you, but today it does. Sometimes it just suddenly makes sense. And that's you. I want to pray for you right where you sit. If today you want to say deliberately in your heart, I yield to you as my Lord, I want you to lift your hand right where you are. Just lift your hand. Just some of you need to do it. Some of you have been doing it for a long time. Some of you need to do it. 
Father, you see these hands. You know what's at the back of them. Thank you that they're here today. Thank you for this critical moment in life to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. May God bless you.